Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there. Good morning out there and Blog Talk Radio land on the on the internet, whether you're tuning in through the chat room or you're dialing in on the phone or you're clicking in via link. I, I love this about online radio. There is so many there are so many ways that you can connect with off the shelf radio. Again, email, chat room. You can pick up the phone and call and we thank each of our listeners who are here with us. Our listenership is starting to grow again as we are headed into our 11th year here at Off, off the Shelf on the radio. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm here in Philadelphia, as I always introduce you, telling you I'm from the city of brotherly love, and it was raining a little bit here this morning, but it looks like it's, it, the rain is starting to stop and uh, the clouds are giving way just a little bit. But I want to thank you again for being here with us and tell you it is just a joy to have you here. Can you guys believe this is the last Saturday in July? I feel like it wasn't. It was just a few days ago that I was wishing everybody a happy July the 4th, and here we are getting ready to wrap up the month. I encourage you to, as I always say at the end of the show, I encourage you at the beginning to create, go out and create a, fabulous day for yourself and create the life you want because it is over before you know it. It really is. It's over before you know it. For those of you, it might be your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf. I like to introduce myself. My name is Denise Turney, and I always say I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. For those of you who have gone out and got a copy of any one of my books, whether it's Portia, Long Walk Up, Love As Many Faces, Spiral, or my new book, Love Pour Over Me, I just thank you for your support. And those who haven't gotten a copy of Love Pour Over Me, I encourage you to go out and get a copy because I think you'll really enjoy the book. It, you can get it in ebook for I think the lowest I saw it for was about $3, $3.99 or something like that. Under four, less, For less than $4, you can get an ebook copy of Love Pour Over Me. And it's a fairly thick book. It's over, uh, I think, 300 pages. So you get your money's worth. And you get, if you like mystery and romance and friendship, and there's some high chase scenes in the book that keep you on the edge of your seat. But it's really the relationship between a father and a son, and it's a complicated relationship, a relationship between these five friends who meet in college and between Raymond, who's the main character in the story, he's a he's a standout athlete. He's also academically academically very talented. But it, it, his father, I mean, he has a. You'll see when you read when you read the book, they have a complicated relationship. But you'll see these two men change. You see how they influence and affect each other. But he also has a relationship with a woman named Brenda, who is just the the love of his life. If you value relationships, even the complicated relationships, so many readers don't like Raymond's father. They almost hate him at the start of the book. But I encourage you to see how even our experiences change each of us. To get a copy of Love Pour Over Me, you can get a copy at Amazon. You can get a copy uh, through Google Books if if they still have that. You can uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Online, offline, if you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the store clerk for it because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So please go get a copy of Love Pour Over Me and treat yourself to a a wonderful book today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest today is April Minger. April was born and raised in 
Springfield, Ohio, being that I was raised, uh, born in Dayton, and I lived there till I was nine. As soon as I saw Springfield, I thought, oh, I've been through there before. Uh, she, so anyway, she was born and raised in Springfield, Ohio, and after she got out of the Air Force, she started working in insurance and health care. She has a master's in business, and today she lives in Fort Drum, New York, with her husband who serves in the Army and their two children. And April's first book is a nonfiction, and it's titled Altars of the Heart. Welcome to Off the Shelf, April. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. And we are so honored to have you with us. As soon as I saw the Springfield, Ohio, I said, oh, a connection, somebody from Ohio. <laughs> so it's, it's, wonderful to, it's wonderful to have you here with Thank us. Before you, yeah. we go on, you're very welcome. Before we go on, would you please give us the URL to your website? Because I like to let our off-the-shelf listeners know what our uh, guest website URL is so they can go over there and check out your book excerpts, learn more about you, read your bio, and learn more about your books, even as they listen to your interview. Absolutely. Um, just go to www.warriorforchristpublishing.com. So, again, that's Warrior for Christ. It's F-O-R. It's actually spelled out for F-O-R. So warriorforchristpublishing.com. Okay, you guys. So again, that's warriorforchristpublishing.com, W-A-R-R-I-O-R-F-O-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com, warriorforchristpublishing.com, and it's spelled just the way it sounds. So you guys can go over there, read her book excerpts, her bio, check out her picture, the cover of her book, and learn a little bit more about her even as you listen to her interview today. Now, as I was telling you, being that I was born in Dayton, Ohio, Ohio was kind of like New Jersey, and I'm thinking of another state. Indiana is kind of like that. They have these small towns and a lot of, of small towns. And I know we would pass through Springfield sometimes. It's been years since I've been through there. It kind of like Xenia, Springfield, these small towns But when I was a kid. But can you share with us, I'd like to give our listeners backstory on our guests April, can you share with us what it was like for you growing up in Springfield, Ohio? Absolutely. Um, like you said, Springfield's a, a smaller town, uh, pretty pretty close to Dayton. I always tell people, you know, if you're not familiar with Springfield, you, you probably drove through it on your way either from Dayton to Columbus or vice versa because it kind of sits right in the middle of Dayton, Dayton Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio. Um, like you were saying, you were giving some small towns around that area. Um uh, growing up in, in Springfield, it was it was an interesting experience. Um, one of the things I really uh, enjoy about Springfield is it's it's not uh, necessarily. Sometimes you go to cities and this, you know, it's it's really segregated sometimes. And Springfield is is not so much segregated as some of the larger cities. Sometimes you'll have, you know, you even people even say, oh, that's the that's the Italian side of town, or that's the the mm-hmm. white side of town, or and that's what I love about Springfield is you really didn't have a lot of that. Um, so that was, really, that was really good. Um, I grew up an only child, so, um, it, you know, it, I learned how to make friends very quickly. Um, so that we, we had a, a neighborhood that, you know, it was a good mix. You know, you had white families and black families. And, and so you learn how to really get to know somebody based on, them and not necessarily the color of their skin and, and gravitate toward that particular group. So it was it was it was nice. It was a great experience. It was it's a smaller town, so pretty much you know everybody kind of knows everyone and and you kind of you know 
fellowship with each other and go to each other's family reunions. You may not necessarily be family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going to family reunions. So it was it was great. It was it was really nice. Yeah, when you compare that to Antioch, now my sister went to school and Antioch was always thought of as being a very sort of open, not, you know, you didn't have a lot of racial things. I think Coretta Scott King went to college in Antioch, Ohio. but And then the arts, I always thought of the arts when I thought of mm-hmm. Antioch. Uh, would you say mm-hmm. Springfield is a big arts area as well? or? Um. I would say there's actually quite a bit of talent that's come out of Springfield, Ohio that most people, most people from Springfield, Ohio will tell people they're from Dayton, Ohio because they know people uh. associate more with Dayton, but they're actually from Springfield. You know, people like John Legend. Um, oh, okay. You know, very familiar with him. And so people, they think he's, oh, he's from Ohio. He's from Dayton, Ohio. Actually, he's not. He was actually from Springfield, Ohio. So it's, yeah, it's a very, um, it's, it's a, you know, there's a lot of talent a lot of musicians and, and people like that. So it, it's artsy as far as, like, in music. It's, it's got a rich culture in music. Ah. And it's so close to Dayton, like you say, and it's so small. Um, what did you dream of becoming, if you can go back in your mind, not 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 so much now, but when you were a kid, what did you dream of becoming when you were a child? Actually, when I was a child, I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> Ah. So I figured I thought I would grow up, go to, go to law school, become a lawyer, and ultimately sit on the Supreme Court. Wow! Yeah. How old were <laughs> that, you, April, uh, when you had that? How old were you when you had that dream? Probably five. Wow, that's impressive. Yes, I would. I would have dreams about being a lawyer. I would play. I would play court with my stuffed animals and my dolls. <laughs> Oh where I was a lawyer, <laughs> and then I'd also play the judge. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is that's interesting. And so you just somehow you just decided to that wasn't for you, or you didn't want to do that late later. Did it you pursue just, it at all? Did you just? No, actually, I did. Well, I had thought about it. I figured I'd, I'd become a cop first. So I figured, you know, I'd get into law enforcement because I see a lot of times cops become lawyers. It kind of gives you a foot in the door getting into law enforcement, seeing both sides of that. And actually when I joined the military, when I joined the Air Force right out of high school, I signed up to be a military police. And it just didn't work out for me. As I actually ended up having an injury at work because I was actually on what they call a delay entry program and I was still, I was right out of high school. I actually injured my back and because I injured my back, um, I didn't qualify to be a military police, I had to pick another job. And from there, um, my choices just led me away from that career field. Uh, one last question before we start talking about your book. Just to give our readers a little bit of, again, backstory I like to give them on our each of our guests. How long mm-hmm. were you in the Air Force? Now, you said you wanted to go in there and be an MP, military police, but you injured your back, so you had to take take on another career, how long were you in the Air Force, and what did you do while you were in the service? Yes. Yeah, I actually just served my first enlistment, first enlistment which is four years. There's a story behind that as well. Um, uh, the um, I actually went into personnel, so far away from military police. <laughs> so <Yeah. I> was, uh, <laughs> it's like night and day. So I went into personnel because they told me, you know, well, you know, once, you're, once your back fully heals, you know, you can always switch jobs. So 
being it, they told me if you go into the personnel field, it's basically the easiest to transfer out of. So I thought, okay, okay that makes sense. So I, that's why I chose personnel or human resource, human resource administration, um, because they told me it was the easiest one to transfer out of so that I could end up eventually going and reclassifying into military police. So when I did that, um, you know, the first, like, right after basic training, I actually got sent to uh, Korea. And um, while I was in Korea, actually, I didn't even do my, my, my uh, admin job. I actually was a security police augmentee. So I was actually <laughs> the whole year I got to do the thing that I, I was signing up to do, which was great. It was super fantastic. Um, but then I actually got sent to Fort Gordon, and that was a, kind of a command post. And that is where I met my husband, who was serving in the Army. There was all branches ah. of the service there at Fort Gordon. Uh, it's in Augusta, Georgia. And you had the Air Force, you had the Army, you had the Marines. And so that is where I met my husband, and that's why I only did my first enlistment, because we ah. got married. <laughs> we got married. I was in the Air Force. He was in the Army. It wasn't going to work out very well, us both being in, but not just both being mm-hmm. in, but both being in and being in different branches of the service we realized very early that was going to be difficult. So that's why I only did the, the first enlistment, and I never reclassed into military police. Man, your story is sort of similar to mine a little bit when you tell that story. <laughs> really? Story. Yeah, and I wonder how many people who are in the military, especially on a site where you've got two or more of all of the different branches of the service at the same location, and then that's, you meet I, so many people when I was in the Navy, they their spouse was somebody else who was in the service. And it is difficult, especially if you want to have a family, because yes, one person gets stationed here, another person stationed there, and how the kids going to see both of the parents. So usually one person will say, oh, you know what, I'm going to make a career out of the service, and then the other person uh, gets out of the service. Now I want to talk about your book. What inspired you? Now we've gotten a little bit of backstory on you. You're from Springfield, Ohio, which we told off-the-shelf listeners that is a small town close to Dayton, Ohio, and then you joined the Air Force. You did four years, and when you got married, your husband being in the Army, you, you got out of the Air Force. You wanted to be a lawyer when you were a kid and sit on the Supreme Court. You were played <laughs> this out when you were five years old. Now we get all the way to your book, which seems like is a whole nother area. What inspired you to write? What inspired you? Is there something that happened in your life, something you observed? What inspired you to sit down and write Altars of the Heart? Well, for me, it's actually, um, it was first out of a devotional um, that I was doing. I, I, anyone who knows me knows, knows that I enjoy studying the Bible. It's one of the things I, I, I thoroughly enjoy. I think that's where, I, you know, I kind of my love of law comes from always wanting to learn. I wanted to, you know, read law books and, and learn. So whenever I sit, when I, whenever I commit myself to something, I want to absorb all of that I possibly can. So I love to dig into the Bible. And so I set out to do a devotional, a study, a personal study regarding all the altars in the Bible, when they were built, who built them, you know, everything about altars, I just had a desire to, to learn more about them. So as I was sitting down to do this study, um, shortly, right, probably within a week of me starting this, this this study, I start feeling the Lord asking me about my heart. And I really didn't get it. I was like, what does my heart have to do with what I'm doing right now? 
So I thought, you know, I'm thinking my heart is my heart is fine. You know, at this point in my life, I was very active in my church. Um, I was growing uh, spiritually. I'm seeing on praise and worship team, teaching uh, children's ministry. I've been a, I had been a youth leader. So I felt like, you know, I was in a really good place. You know, I had a hunger and thirst for the, for the word of God. And in the midst of me doing this study, like I said, I, I felt like God kept dealing with me about my heart. And it was, and there was one particular question that, that was asked to me, you know, and while I was doing my study, and it said, why, why do the opinions of others matter so much to you? Mm. And and that that actually started me understanding like oh, okay he's he's asking me about my heart because he's letting me know that he's that my heart is not in the right place because I'm giving actually giving more um, more power more authority more um, basically letting other people dictate who I am. And not mm-hmm. being shaped and molded by the word of God, which I'm desiring to know more of. So in order to to fulfill that desire to know more of his word, I had to start dealing with, with some things that was going on within my, with my heart. And that actually, that study actually lasted for seven years. Wow. That journey, that process of going through that. And every every time I would dig deeper, then another, another something else would be revealed. And it went all mm. the way back the issues that I thought I had dealt with long ago. And God was like, no, you, you never overcame in that area because it's, this is, you know, you're still using that. You're still saying mm. that that area is too big for me. You're telling me that I can't, I can't give you victory in that area because it's too deep. Like, okay, Lord, I know you can't handle this, so I'm just going to put this over here, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything with that because I know that you can't do anything with that because that's just too big. So he was letting me know that my, in my heart, there were places that I wouldn't let, even let him go because I, those, those things actually helped me validate my insecurities, validate my self-pity, validate mm. I, I act like this because. I can do this because. Mm. And God, as long as you continue to do that, you can never go deeper and experience the fullness of what I have for you. And in that, that's altars of the heart. It's really what happened at the end of my seven years journey with God, and, I, and at that moment, pretty much about the five-and-a-half-year mark, I knew that I was going to share it with others, and, and it terrified me. It really did. So I was actually going to have to, to share this with other people, but um, I just believe God, and I, I finished that process, and, and we have altars of the heart. Now, so that personal experience when you were doing your studies about altars, like wooden altars, et cetera, that are you know mentioned in the scriptures, and then it, the question came up. So that's what inspired you. You just said you just knew it was a personal journey, and you just knew you had to you had to share it. Is this is the book your personal story? Is it? And it, can you tell us the format it's written in? Is it like a journal format? Is it like an essay format? How is the book writ, written? And is it your personal story? Yes, it's definitely it's definitely told from my my personal point of view. Um, I like I call it actually when people ask me about the book I tell them it, it's a guided tour, and in a guided tour when if, if you've ever been on a tour when you have a tour guide they're just going to point out things to you, and they're going to tell you about them. They're going to say if you look over here at this building such and such lived in that building, and what they're doing is they're just pointing things out to you. But your, the experience that you have on that tour is strictly based on the way you receive it. 
And that's what Altars of the Heart is. It's just a guided tour through your own heart. So everyone's tour, everyone's experience is going to be different and unique to them because they're going to be looking at things through their own, the way that they perceive. And what's important to some, well, some person, one person is not going to be as important to someone else. There's going to be certain things that's going to stick out to you and that you're going to remember on that tour for the rest of your life. They're going to, and, and the other person is going to remember something else. So it really is a guided tour. It's, it's not, I always say, it's not a cookie-cutter, step-by-step process, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's not that type of book. What it is is, like I said, it's a guided tour, and it's going to illuminate things that are going to resonate with you because you're going to be able to identify with them. Now, I didn't ask you this before the show, and it just popped into my mind. I don't know if you have the book nearby. If you don't, that's fine. But before the end of the show, I'm trying to get a better picture of, and I want our off-the-shelf listeners to get a clear picture of Altars of the Heart. If it is nearby, and I don't want you to have to go through no hoops to get it, um, if you could just read a passage of the book for us before the show ends. Uh, if that's if you can't, then that's fine. Um, yeah, I can, but if you I can absolutely can't, do that. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you uh, next, when you refer to a better worship experience with our Creator, do you mean singing and dancing, trying to make, I like to make you know, it clear for our listeners, do you mean singing and dancing more in church? What do you mean when you say having a better worship experience? That's an excellent question. I get that question a lot. Because I like, and what I tell people is this, that is absolutely not what worship is. Worship is not about the position of the body. It's not about how I lift my hands. It's not whether I lift my hands at all. It's not about whether I kneel. It's not about whether I stand. It's not about what I, it's not even about what I'm saying. It's the position of my heart. It's the attitude of my heart. So I could be standing. I could be kneeling. I could be running around. I could be saying something. It's all about the attitude of the heart. That is worship to God. So that's why God was asking me about my heart when I was studying altars, because it's all about what's being offered and the attitude of which it's being offered. So it doesn't, it's not so much of what I'm doing. It's about where my heart is and the position of my heart towards God, my attitude of my heart towards God. That's our worship. So it's not just about my hands. It's not, it's, it's, I always tell people, you know, some people say, oh, this is a slow song, so it's a worship song. You know, and that's not the case. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't the beat of the the song that's playing, whether there's a song playing or not, that does not that does not shape my worship. It does not determine my worship. It doesn't determine whether I'm worshiping. It's strictly based on the heart. God says that He searches the heart of man, so He's searching our heart. So in everything that we do, God is searching our heart to see the attitude and the the motivation of why we're doing what we're doing. Okay. What do you think pops up in most people's minds when they hear the word worship? And I've seen a lot of pastors and ministers uh, really worship, particularly in, I I can only go by the churches I've gone to, uh, African-American Baptists, the holiness churches. They mean singing and dancing and running around the church, I think, when they hear worship. And I've seen pastors really almost get angry when people don't, get up and jump and clap, and they literally almost get angry because they feel like you're not worshiping. What do you think comes up in most people's minds when they hear that word? I think I think the, the, the one of the biggest problems is that there is so much mis- misconception about worship. 
and people do associate worship with an outward uh, appearance. So that because they are limiting worship, because they really don't understand what worship means, if you really start to uh, break that word apart, it actually comes from two old English words. They actually mean worth and ship. And that ship means quality. And that's where we get words like friendship, the quality of being a friend. We get leadership, the quality of being a leader. So when we say worship, what we're really saying is we, we're, we're recognizing the quality of God's work. And so when we, or if we're, when we acknowledge the quality of God's work, that's worship. Because we're saying, God, you are worthy. You are worthy. You're, you're, you're so much bigger than anything else. And you're worthy. I'm giving, I'm, I'm acknowledging you and I'm exalting you and I'm magnifying you because you're worthy. It has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on around me. So, again, I think what happens is because there's so many misconceptions about worship, they're like, okay, if, if you're worshiping, then your hands are in the air. You know, if you go to one church, if, if, you're not, you know, if you're not laid out on the floor and you're not weeping and crying, then you're not worshiping. This right. is a misconception. It's a misconception. And we limit God, so therefore we put restrictions on other people and we say, well, it has to look like this in order to be called that. And they did the same thing to Jesus. You know, it's like, well, you can't possibly be because you didn't come like this, you didn't come like that. And it, we, that's always happened in, in the Bible, and it, and it happens in the church today. And I think that's why it's so important for us to understand, you know, for, for us individually to understand what worship is, and, and eventually for the church to understand that worship is not about what we're doing. It's about what, why we're doing it. Mm. Yeah, and I think that one, uh, I've been a, uh, I can tell you, I think that that is a huge misperception yeah. starting in the pulpit. I, I've seen ministers get angry, and they, yeah. I mean, if they don't visually see it and hear it, they're like, you're not doing it. And they, they'll they tell right. you, I don't, I don't, some of you are closet worshipers or whatever. You've got to make the noise. You've got to do it. They use David dancing, and you better do it or you're not really worshiping. And, I mean, right. they get, I've seen ministers get angry. Um, what, what did studying about Abraham teach you about human heart altars? Well, Abraham was, was huge because what when I studied um, the life of Abraham and what God was had you know used him to share the less the one of the biggest lessons I learned was that when whenever we do something no matter what it is it's the it's the heart that is either going to qualify it or disqualify it from being acceptable to God and. With you know the biggest thing with Abraham, you know of course every you know most people are familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac, but do they really understand the depth of what was going on there? And Abraham, you know had had so much faith in God, and whenever we have to do something, everything that we do has to be in faith, and the faith is actually what keeps the the heart pure and keeps the heart altar open to both give. To God and receive from God. If we don't, if we can't keep, if we don't have faith, then the Bible tells us it's impossible to even please God. So faith is actually the key to keeping our hearts available to God, and it's also the key in walking out our life. 
is the key in, in fulfilling our purpose in God, is the key to offering up pure worship to God, because in faith, if we keep our life anchored in faith, then it keeps us from getting distracted by things that are going on around us, even when it seems very, you know, dire and it, it's, it's huge and, it's, you know, we don't understand it and we don't understand how in the world it's going to work out. Faith is that thing that keeps us anchored in the Word of God no matter what's going on around us. And, and you look at the life of Abraham, he, he really had to operate in, in faith. And even when he, when he missed it sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, Abraham, you know, why did you do that? <laughs> but faith always kept him coming back and believing God. And because of that faith, you know, and a, a nation was established on the faith of Abraham and his, his faith in God. Mm-hmm. One thing when you said the word of God, a lot of people just think of the scriptures, but that to me is anything God has said. Even if God told you something today and it's not in the Bible, but God spoke something to you today because God didn't die when the Bible was finished being right, <laughs> written, then right. I still see that as the word of God. It's something that came from God, that God. Some people are like, yeah, if it's not in the Bible, then... You know, it's like God died, I guess, when they finished writing the Bible, but that God's alive, so he can still be right. speaking. Yes. Uh, are there some? God. Yes, God is still yes. You know, We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So everything that God speaks to you is his word. Yes. Yep. Are there signs that a person, if somebody was like, okay, you know what, I think I'm distant from our creator, and it's, it's, I think we've, it really has to be a distinction so people don't get caught up in these physical habits of, like, going to church or going to prayer meeting. And you can still not be listening to God and going to all these events. Are there signs that a person has become distant from the Creator that from your studies when you study the altars of the heart? And if so, can you share some of those signs? I'm sorry, I kind of, I, you're, I, I kind of didn't hear the audio there for a minute. Could you oh, I was that? saying other signs. A lot of times we think that if we're going to a certain worship center that we are, every time we go there, we're having a connection with our creator when that may not be the case. We get so caught up in the physical stuff. We just think, oh, I physically got down on my knees. I physically... Uh, went to a church, but it doesn't mean you connected with the Creator. I was asking you, are there signs that we have become distant from our Creator that you that surfaced during your research as you were writing Altars of the Heart? And if so, could you share some of those signs with our listeners? Oh, yes, absolutely. Sorry about that. Yes, um, that is absolutely true. I believe that, you know, a lot of times we we, we mistake emotionalism with a true encounter. And when we have a true encounter with God, it encompasses our whole our whole life. So it, it is going to, we are going to experience the emotional, we're going to experience the physical, we're going to experience the psychological because it involves our whole being. You know, in him I live, move, and have my being. So when I worship God, when I'm, when I'm living for God, it does involve my entire being, but it's not just centered on one thing. So a lot of times we will have an emotional experience and we will we will then identify that as oh I felt God there so because we get we're we get wrapped up in the emotion of it then but what happens is when we leave from that place 
we're defeated all over again. So mm. it's like once I come from that emotional high, what's left? You know, so it's when you have a true encounter with God, then your life reflects it. It's not just mm. for a moment. I, re, I refer to in the, in the book, um, it's like a cup filled with holes. The cup is not the issue. The cup will work properly. The problem is it's so full of holes that it can't hold the water. And when you're having an emotional experience, there's nothing, sustain, there's nothing sustained there. So your life is not transformed. Your life is not empowered because you're just having this emotional experience, but there's no transformation. And when you're having a true encounter with God, the word of God penetrates your heart, and you, you really become, you, you start to experience that transformation. Now, it doesn't always happen overnight, it's, but it's these, these small transitions that every time I'm in the presence of the word, every time I'm in the, the presence of, of the, te- the word being taught, then that word starts to take root, and my life becomes transformed. It's not about the emotionalism that's attached to that. It's not about the emotional experience. It's about that true transformation. So the sign, if, if, if your life is truly being transformed, is you will start to experience victories where you didn't have victory before. God gives us the power to overcome. So if I'm not overcoming anything and I'm still stuck, then there's, a, there's an issue. There's something that's not, there's a blockage or there's something that's not happening. And that, that's the sign right there. Your life will literally start to be changed. You'll start to think differently. And it, it may be small steps, but you'll start to think differently. You'll start to perceive differently. The things that used to agitate you don't agitate you like they used to. You notice you have, you have more, you know, more peace. And things that used to really get you worked up, now you can say, you know what, I'm not even going to deal with that right now. I'm just going to let, you know. And those are signs that you are literally being transformed. And it's not about just the emotionalism. And I'm not saying you don't experience emotions because you do. But if that's not that's not the the end result. The end result is that you are having a transformed life. You really are becoming a new creation in Christ. Okay. Okay. Do you have any more before? And then I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you one more question, then I wanted to ask you if you would be ready to read uh, from Altars, uh, a passage from Altars of the Heart. But did you have any more signs before I ask you one more question? Um, I think that that is, I think another part is that you will start to have a hunger and thirst for God. That is, okay. I think, a, a huge thing. You will start to have a hunger and a thirst for God. You, you'll, you'll want to be in his presence. You're going to want to pray. You're going to want to be, in, you know, in his presence. And that's huge because, if you, you know, what you will gravitate toward what you desire. So when your life is being transformed and you're really having a, a, a true encounter with God, you're going to want to spend time with him. You know, we mm-hmm. want to spend time with the people that we, we love and we adore. So we will want to draw closer to him. We're going to notice that there are we have that desire to know his word. We have a desire to, to spend time in prayer. We have a desire to, you know, to sing praise to him and to live, live our lives through worship. Okay. How, how can we notice that, because sometimes, you know, it can get tricky, and what you think about our conscious minds, our subconscious mind, so many things we do, we create habits and patterns, and a lot of them we don't even know that we help cause something because we did it subconsciously, and we're like, why did this happen? How can we notice, this is one way you notice you've, you've created a pattern, particularly if it's a pattern is not helping you. How can we notice that events are repeating themselves? Like some people can date five people, but they really just dated the same type of person over and over and over. How can we notice that 
an event is repeating itself, the very next time it starts, so we avoid living a life, a vicious cycle, like in a life, or just going in a circle? Right. That's a good question. I I think for me, when those things start, when I was able to start identifying those things was when I started spending more time in God's presence, when I started spending more time in the Word, because the Word of God is like a lamp. It illuminates things, not in, in our lives. So once we start to spend more time with Him, then He will start to show us those areas of our lives where we're ha- where we're being defeated, and those pat like like you were saying those patterns, identifying those patterns and seeing those patterns, because as we draw closer to God, He will reveal those things in our lives that we need to work with and what we need to work on, and. That was the same thing with me, understanding, like, oh, I I thought I had dealt with that, but I really hadn't. I just put it to the side because in my own mind, in my own heart, I was saying, even that's too big for God. So, you know, he's not going to do anything about that. He can't do anything about that. So I'm just going to leave that off to the side. And when we we, uh, draw closer to God, God's saying, no, that, that thing that you're keeping from me is the thing that I desire from you the most. Give it to me. I need to help you with this. And um, so when we identify those patterns in our life, that's going to come from spending time with God. That's going to come from us spending time in his word. And as we do that, our eyes are going to be open, and we're going to start identifying things in our life that does not bring glory to God, that's not good for us. And then we can start praying and seeking God's help and the, and the Spirit's help to be able to overcome those things and to put those things, you know, to literally get rid of those. Okay. Can you are you ready to read uh excerpt from Altars of the Heart? Absolutely. Okay. You can treat our off the shelf listeners with a with a with a reading. Okay. Did you was there a specific amount of reading that you want me to do or uh I wanna say I don't know, maybe half a page. I just want our listeners to get a feel for the book. The um the way it's written, you know, the style, et cetera, what they, some of the things they could expect from reading Altars of the Heart. Okay, awesome. Um, one, I'll read from Chapter 4. Chapter 4 is was one of actually one of the hardest chapters for me to write because it was very personal for me um, in dealing with my motives. I always have to check my motives and say, why, why is this important to me? Why do I want to do it? Why, you know, so it, the Chapter 4 is actually called Arterial Motives. And as I'm reading it, it'll actually start making more sense. But chapter four, arterial motives. I'll read that for you. It starts off, what are arterial motives? It's what I use to describe the selfish and self-centered choices we make in order to further our own agendas. These are the building blocks of an unholy altar. The phrase arterial motives would mean the same. I'm referencing the heart. I'm making reference to the heart because through arterial motives come such things as manipulation, deceit, lies, twisting, misrepresentation, self-pity, self-hate, false humility, fear, exaggerations, indulgent behaviors. All these things are used to gander support for our ambition and our self-proclaimed purpose. We will often become easily offended and cut off anyone who dares to question our behavior. We will defend our attitude no matter what anyone has to say. We will walk away from friends and even family just for the sake of proving we are right. The Mm. truth is, the truth is we are actually 
using arterial motives to excuse our offended heart and allow us to harbor things like unforgiveness, anger, and fear. These hidden motives deceitfully cause us to feel validated in our faithless and loveless response to people and life's events. This is where our hearts become hardened and unable to offer true worship and, com- and communion with God is hindered. This is the plan of the enemy. He wants us to keep our hearts in this condition so we won't be able to experience the blessing that comes from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Wow, very good. See, that that is, I'm, I'm glad I asked you to read that. I don't often do that, but that gives a more clear picture to me and hopefully to our off the other off the shelf listeners more about authors of the heart and it shows the value of the book as well when you read it. You were talking about that's the chapter, chapter four, the ulterior motives. Can you go through and tell us about some of the other chapters? Just very briefly the title of the chapter and a brief brief overview of what some of the other chapters in the book cover. Absolutely. Um yeah, that was chapter four. Chapter one actually uh, talks about the altar. Because I, I believe that that's the that's the foundational of the book is so chapter one is going to ch- teach you about the altar and the significance of the altar, and then it goes right into chapter two, which is the journey, and the journey is a, is is that's that's very important. Um, the journey is talking about our life, our life experiences, and understanding our, the purpose of our journey here on on earth. Because I always tell people we are spiritual beings having a an earthly experience. So chapter two talks about the journey, and then chapter three goes into the heart. Um, as you can see, there's an actual running theme there. You know, we talk about the altars and the journey, and then the heart, and then chapter four, which is what I just shared with you, is arterial motives, and then chapter five, we talk about the offering, what we're offering um, on the altar, and how the attitude in which we're offering it. Uh, chapter six goes into the altar used in worship, so we can understand worship and how um, our heart is uh, vital when we're worshiping God. Um, Chapter 7 actually talks about flashbacks. That's when we're getting into our past experiences, what I call Mm. our timeline. Exploring our timeline is very important because it helps you to understand how our past can hinder our worship. And then Chapter 8 is actually the unholy altar, dealing with the unholy altar, how we get rid of the unholy altars, identifying those unholy altars, kind of like what you were talking about, Noticing those patterns, and then chap- chapter nine is the the mind and heart connection, understanding how the mind and the heart work together, um, and then chapter ten is actually a reflection chapter, and then at the end of the book you have uh, questions like an interactive question answer, and then you have a journal. Yeah, I was going to ask you: Will will the readers will are there exercises or worksheets they can complete so they can learn more about themselves as they work their way through the book? Are there, yes. or do you have worksheets? You do have them in there. Do they follow every chapter, or is it after the end of the whole entire book? It's, it's at the end of the entire book. Okay, okay. How much research, April, did you do while you were pulling together the material for Altars of the Heart? I know you went through your personal experience. Did you do any other research other than studying the physical altars, like wooden altars, et cetera? Did you do any other research while you were pulling together material for the book? Yes, I mean, I, like I, uh, like you said earlier, I do have a, a background in healthcare. So that basically, when the chapter of the heart actually did research on on the actual physical heart, so we can under better understand the spiritual heart. So I uh, did some research there, and also, of course, 
through through the Bible, um, researching on the altars, researching you know worship. Um, so there was um, so I drew from my own personal experiences to to lead me into the other avenues of things I needed to research so I can get a better understanding and be able to to uh, articulate to, that to the reader. Okay, we only have about fifteen minutes left, and I had a several other questions to ask you, and I can see I'm not going to get to all of them, but I wanted to ask you, which would you say blocks us the most, not only from your studies as you put together the book Altars of the Heart, but you're even just observing as you go through your life journey, which would you say blocks us the most, fear or unforgiveness? Hmm. I Actually, I was, I was going to say fear and unforgiveness before you even said the two. <laughs> because all <laughs> Because often those go together. I, they're kind of like bookends. Because when often we hold on, we hold on to things out of fear of letting them go. So it's like they basically go go together. You know, for me, if I, I I thought if I forgive, if I forgive that, then what I'm saying is it was okay that that happened. And that's not that's not what that's not what forgiveness is at all. Forgiveness isn't saying it's okay. It's just saying I refuse to let it define me. And so mm. it was it was actually a fear there of saying, Okay, I was basically unforgiveness will lead you through fear. You know, it will it's actually it, it's a kind of an a door opener to so many other things. But I would say if I had to choose one I think a lot of people do struggle with with unforgiveness because they feel like if, mm. if I let it go, if, if I forgive, then I'm saying it was okay, and that's not what ah. Interesting, interesting. You could you could write a book on unforgiveness by itself. Absolutely. Now, how can someone remain spiritually and psychologically healthy? We live in a very fast paced world. I think when my grandparents were still here, um, they would. Tell me, it's just so different. You, every generation, and even be, I was born in the '60s. It is, it's like rapid warp speed. Now, how is it possible to stay balanced and healthy in this fast-paced, demanding world? I think I, I think that's a wonderful question, and I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that, including myself. But one of the things that I found most is making sure that Regardless of how busy I am, I have to make sure that I'm spending time in God's presence. And people, you know, people when people say that, you know, it's like, well, I don't have an hour to pray. That's not what that means. It means I'm staying in an attitude of prayer. Again, I'm guarding my heart. Whenever I'm guarding my heart, I'm being mindful of God's presence in my life. And so that's that's very key to, for me is making sure I keep my my heart open to receive from God, no matter where I am. And understanding that he can speak to me even in the subtle inconsistencies, uh, subtle uh, situations of people and, and places and things. And even if I'm busy, you know, I would say busy, busy doesn't mean productive. So if I want my day to be productive, I've, I've realized that I have to give God the very first moments of my day. So mm. I share this with people. So before, as soon as my eyes pop open in the morning, my my heart and my mind go directly to God, and I give him those first moments. Before my feet even hit the floor, or as I'm still laying in the bed, as soon as my eyes open, I give those first moments to God, and I've noticed that that sets the tone for my entire day. And wow. when I when I fail to do that, I notice that 
things get more hectic. It's, and it's not even necessarily that, the, that there's more issues. It's just the way that I perceive them is different because I haven't set my tone. I haven't given my first to God. And that's how I deal with my day so that no matter what comes, I can, make, I can actually stay in peace even though chaos may be all around me. And people say, well, how in the heck do you do that? And it's like because I've given God those first moments and I'm saying, God, you know what, no matter what goes on today, no matter what, what situations arise today, I already give it to you, and I ask, Lord God, that my heart be kept in peace because you promised in your word that you would keep my mind in perfect peace if I keep it on you. So I'm putting my mind on you, and I'm asking, Lord God, that your peace surround me. No matter where I go, no matter what situation I'm in, let me be mindful of you in that situation. Okay. What, can you tell us when Altars of the Heart was released, and what have readers been saying about Altars of the Heart so far? Okay. Absolutely. It was actually released at the end of May this year. So it's, it's, oh, okay. Just, uh, so, it's a newbie on the Okay. It's new. It's, I always say it's got that newborn smell. Okay. <laughs> it's like a newborn baby. It's, it's okay. Newborn. Yeah, so it's just been released, and the reviews have been wonderful. Um, people, I, it really touches me how many people have said, you know, this book has really helped me to identify some areas of my life that, again, you know, I'm seeing this theme where people are like, wow, you know, I, as I was reading this, stuff started coming to my mind. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I do that. Oh, my gosh, I did that. And they're like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. So the reviews have been really good. People are responding really well. And so that, I mean, that just blesses my heart because, like I said, this is my own personal you know, my own personal journey. So to have other people respond to it in such a positive way and say, you know, this book has really helped me, I'm just like, wow. You know, that that's amazing. That is really amazing. So the, the comments and reviews have been really, really good. That's good. And you do that work yourself with the Lord on yourself first. So I think yes, that's very yeah. important rather than just sitting down and writing a book. What major lessons did you learn while you are writing this, your first book? that the lessons you learned during the process of actually writing this book that you continue to use today, lessons you didn't know before you sat down to write it? The the main point for me was that, you know, I kind of shared that, is that people and events do not define me. Mm. That my, my worth is not found in the opinions of other people. That my purpose and my destiny were given to me before my name was even April. Mm. And when you understand that, it's like before it's like before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so that scripture has so much more meaning for me now because I understand that. It's like I, the, the purpose and my destiny aren't dependent on my name, aren't dependent on my parents, aren't dependent on where I was born. It's all dependent on my purpose and my destiny. It's all dependent on God and my relationship with him. Okay. We want to I want to let our listeners know because we are coming down to like the last 9 minutes of today's show. The shows always go by so fast. Once it's up, once it's up and streamed to our off the shelf listeners, you can always come back and listen to it again and again if there's something you like, you know, I missed that or I want to hear that again, you can come back and do that. I want to let you know we're we're interviewing April Minger here on Off the Shelf. She was formerly in the Air Force, and she's written her first nonfiction book, which is titled Altars of the Heart. You can visit April online at warriorforchristpublishing.com. It's spelled just the way it sounds. 
W A R R I O R F O R C H R I S T P U B L I S H I N G dot com. Warrior for publish Warrior for Christ Publishing dot com and again it's spelled just the way it sounds. I like to on each show to give our listeners because we have people who they want to write a book, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. They want to market their books if they've already written a book, and we don't have that many minutes left. But I want to devote some time to that. Now, writing and publishing a book is the first step. Then you have to actually sell that book. Can you tell us about maybe three to four marketing tips or steps that you found that have worked for you? Absolutely. Um, one, of course, is you have to be your your best advocate. <laughs> you know, there's there's other people that you can pull that can help you, but you have to be willing to, to do your work as well. So be willing to put in the work. So you have to be willing to market and promote yourself. Um don't you you can't be afraid to, you know, to get out there and and use what's around you, you know, your local um know who your audience is and then go where those people are. Who's your who's your reader? Who who do you see reading this book? Who's who's the main target of that you want to get this book in their hands? Then go where those people are. I mean, and and put yourself in in those situations. So you have to be willing to go out there. You have to be willing to to market yourself. And and I always say be be your own walking commercial. Be willing to talk about your book at any time with anyone. You know, it's and people say, well, I don't want to. You know, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You have to. You know, be willing to talk to people about your book. Um, carry your book with you. Um, everywhere I go, mm. I, have, I have my book. It's in my car. It's in my bag. Have your book with you at all times because you never know. You never know the, the opportunities that may present themselves, and you don't want to be caught off guard. You know, um, well, I was always taught that success is when preparation meets opportunity. So uh. you, have to, you have to be prepared. Be prepared for that opportunity. Um, so don't let that opportunity pass you by because you weren't prepared. So be prepared. Wow. Have your book with you. I've heard other writers say that. Keep keep a copy with you at all times. Just in case Absolutely. somebody asks you, keep a copy with you. Now, did you host a launch party for Altars of the Heart? And if not, how did you introduce uh, Altars of the Heart to the public? Well, one, one of the things that I've been doing is the, is the virtual book tours, um, which I have you know, this being my first book, you know, I really didn't have a lot of experience, so I had to to uh, solicit the uh, skills of other people. And one of the people that I work with, Paula Harper, uh, I used her to help me um, to understand the areas. You know, don't be afraid to reach out to other people. You know, sometimes we kind of become an island and we think, you know, I don't want anybody else involved in this process. And and, and you can do that, but, you know, you're not. it's probably not going to go as well as you think. <laughs> So um, don't be afraid to reach out. And so I did a virtual book tour. That's how I initially launched the book on um, uh, on social media with the virtual book tours, and then also um, taking taking the book to uh, the local churches here in the area, and um, just sitting down with them and saying, you know, here I'd like to put this book in your hand, and I would like you like you to read it, and I'm going to come back, and I want and I want I want us to sit down and talk about it. And okay. so that that was that. You know, that's kind of what, what you do, so that's what I did. <laughs> okay. i got to tell you, you are a great interview guest, a great show guest. Do you plan April to 
You're very welcome. Do you plan to write another book, whether it's nonfiction or fiction? And if so, could you? What do you think that next book would be about? Absolutely. Of course, the the first one, of course, is actually going to be a follow up book to Altars of the Heart. Um, because of the response and and hearing what people are saying, I realized, and I I, I think I kind of knew this already, that there has to be another book that's going to go even even deeper because there's some really deep rooted situations and people and, and I'm learning that people do want a relationship they want to you know they want the relationship relationship with God to grow and to be stronger and so there's going to be a follow-up book to Altars of the Heart and I'm going to actually share even more of my own personal story um, in the book and it, and I'm actually going to do a workbook funny uh, that you had mentioned that there's actually going to be a, a workbook release Altars of the Heart so people can actually go even deeper and take a step deeper. Um, I believe that deep does call into deep, and I believe that God definitely wants us to go deep in our relationship. And I'm also wanting to write uh, a fiction book. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. That sounds great. Uh, Reach out and let us know when when your new books come out. And I have to try to remember to when I'm doing a show to to announce it. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of Altars of the Heart? So Altars of the Heart is on Amazon. It's in paperback. It's an ebook as well. So you go to Amazon, just type in Altars of the Heart. Um, it's on there. Um, it's also available for uh, Barnes & Noble uh, Nook e-reader as well. Um, so you go, you can actually get it from the web, my website as well, warriorforchristpublishing.com. Um, you can actually request autograph copies, uh, find copies from there as well. So, yeah, so you can go to Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble for Nook reader, or you can just simply go to my website. And that website again to off the shelf listeners. It's spelled just the way it sounds. Warrior warriorforchristpublishing dot com. Now, can you let us know if you're on any social media networks? Yes, ma'am. I am on Facebook. So it's pretty easy. It's actually really easy to find me on Facebook. You just type in April Minger, uh, and I'm also on Twitter as well and Google okay. Plus. Okay, and if if somebody wanted to contact you to have you come and speak at, to a group or one of their events, uh, are you open to that? And if so, how would they contact you? Yes, ma'am, I am, and they can actually contact me through my uh, Warrior for Christ Publishing website. There's a contact me link on there, and you can actually okay. uh, you could request it through there. All right, we have had the pl- we have had the pleasure of, of connecting with April Minger today. She's from Springfield, Ohio, served in the United States Air Force. Today she lives uh, in New York with her husband and two children. He's, her husband serves in the Army. And Altars of the Heart is a nonfiction book, and it's her first book, but she plans to do a follow-up book to Altars of the Heart, a workbook. And she's got her thoughts also set on a novel in the future, which we hope to let us know. Her website, again, is warriorforchristpublishing.com, and that's spelled exactly the way it sounds, warriorforchristpublishing.com. So please go support April Minger. As always, I thank you for being here with us this Saturday morning on Off the Shelf. I truly, truly appreciate you and value and love you so much. Please come back next Saturday, 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time, as I often say. We'll bring you another fabulous guest. 
Until then, remember, you are so awesome. You're amazing. You are just incredible. Please go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. And please go support April Minger. Bye for now. April, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you.